Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where together we learn practical ways we can steadily fight our fears with faith. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, speaker, and ministry leader who loves to encourage God's children to live daily with the full confidence of knowing we are called, loved, chosen, accepted, and empowered. I would love to connect with you online. You can find my website. You can find me on social media. Just Google my name, Jennifer Slattery. You can find my ministry, holylove.com. That's W H. O-L-L-Y as well. Just Google our name. In Christ, we have no reason for fear or insecurity. And yet, insecurity characterizes many of our lives and weakens many of our relationships out of fear of rejection, of conflict, of retaliation, of saying the wrong thing or not saying the right thing. Many of us allow or create dysfunction. Actually, our conflict aversion, our failure to hold hard conversations tends to lead to both continued and increased dysfunction. But love, real love, always exists with equal parts truth and grace. Love without truth is dangerous and deceptive. Truth without love is destructive. But truth spoken in love, that's freeing. That's life-giving and transformative. Here's something I've come to learn through much pain and regret. Issues, and I mean real issues, not minor irritations. Real issues don't go away when I ignore them. More often than not, if God is calling me to hold a hard conversation and I don't obey, the situation gets worse. I have severely damaged relationships, and in my early days of ministry, I nearly sabotaged my ministry by not having hard conversations. In my desire not to hurt people, I've done that very thing. I've allowed unhealthy behavior to continue, and as a result, pretty much every time the situation and behavior grew worse. I've also, out of fear, tried to deal with an issue with what I would call a backdoor approach, where you want to make a point, you want to help someone come to the realization of something by sort of sliding comments in here and there, using the conversation or, or whatever to initiate pointed asides. And that never works. We're always, always better off being open and honest. Loving and gentle for sure, but open and honest. If you've heard my past episodes, you probably know I have OCD, germophobia, in fact, and I like my environment sanitary, but I'm also a mom, a mom who at one time raised a teenager. And if you've ever lived with a teenager, you know many of them are far from sanitary. Like you might need to wear a hazmat suit in order to enter their bathroom. Needless to say, the mess that appears to be inherent with childhood tended to trigger my anxiety. And while I often swept into clean, I thought I hid my anxiety well. I'm not that skilled, and I'm relatively certain you're not either. You might think you are. You might think that smile you force appears genuine, but our facial expressions and body language speak loudly and quickly before we have a chance to cover them. Experts say 55% or more of our communication is nonverbal, displayed almost instantly 
subconsciously before our brains have time to catch up and plaster on that friendly but fake smile. And whoever we're talking to reads those quick facial expressions instantly and subconsciously as well. So our face displays something is wrong, that we're upset or we're uncomfortable, but it doesn't explain why. So that leaves a lot of room for miscommunication. And that's precisely what occurred between my daughter and I. And it nearly destroyed our relationship. She probably realized on some level that my OCD and not her caused my behavior, but she never said anything. She knew I couldn't help my actions, although actually I I can. I may not be able to change completely, or at least I haven't yet. But with Christ's help and with my family's honesty, by the way, I've gotten so much better. But anyway, out of fear of hurting me, my daughter didn't say anything all the while internalizing my behavior because that's what we humans tend to do. Her interpretation that I found her disgusting. Can you imagine the hurt that caused her to grow up feeling that your mom finds you disgusting? Had I known, I would have worked extra hard on fighting my OCD, on getting help, at the very least on initiating open discussions regarding it, but I didn't know how she was processing it all. I didn't know about all the hurt steadily building within her. All I saw was her snark because it came out like her hurt. It came out as, as snark and sarcasm and, and comments and facial expressions and body language. And that's all I saw. My interpretation, not knowing her behavior stemmed from hurt, I assumed I irritated her so much so that she could hardly stand to be in the room with me. By her 19th year, things had grown so tense between us. We were constantly fighting, misreading one another, though not about the real issue, which is usually what happens. Our feelings don't go away just because we ignore or suppress them. They pop up in other ways. And that is what occurred between us. And I worried I was going to lose her. I thought for certain I was losing her, that she didn't like me, that she didn't want a relationship with me. And this issue, this massive miscommunication and all the unresolved and undiscussed hurt on both sides could have destroyed our relationship. I've seen it happen so many times and maybe you've experienced this. In fact, I'm certain we all have. We've all seen and probably been part of relationships that blow up that could have been repaired and even strengthened had we found the courage to initiate honest, loving, difficult conversations. Praise God, that's not what happened between my daughter and I. Thankfully, the truth ultimately came out. One afternoon in the middle of an argument, she blurted, you think I'm disgusting. And I was stunned. I realized her statement came from somewhere deep. So I asked, is that how you really feel? And in the conversation that followed, she shared how deeply my OCD had hurt her. And That was really hard to hear, and I guarantee it was hard for my daughter to say for numerous reasons. Like I mentioned before, she knew I wasn't trying to hurt her, and so she felt in love that she should just let it go, give me grace. That's confusing, isn't it? Knowing when to address something and when to, quote, forbear one another's weaknesses, as scripture puts it. Well, here's my thoughts on that. If we truly can overlook the issue, if we can honestly let it go, then we should. 
And, and so long as it doesn't cause harm, that issue isn't causing harm to the other person or to anyone else. But if we find ourselves thinking about it and fighting negative feelings often, then it's probably best for ourselves, our mental health, and for the relationship to address it. If we're reluctant to do so, if the thought makes our stomachs not, we need to ask ourselves why. We need to take the time to honestly evaluate our fears, all of our fears, and the lies and the faulty thinking attached to them so that we can replace those lies and deceptions with truth. Many times we're afraid of losing a relationship. As a result, we not only hold on to an unhealthy one, but we may in fact play a part in increased dysfunction. So years ago, a woman approached me during a women's event wanting to talk, and I could tell she was conflicted. Long story short, she was living with her boyfriend. She was having sexual relations with him outside of marriage, and I could tell she was feeling convicted although she provided ample justification for her actions and telling me just how lonely she was. And she said, I really enjoyed his companionship, adding, I just can't believe God would take this from me. In other words, she was afraid if she had a hard conversation, if she set firm boundaries, her boyfriend would leave. And yet she was just torn up inside. Her relationship with her boyfriend was hindering her relationship with Christ. It was stirring up perpetual anxiety, which is a miserable state to live in, but it also kept her from experiencing what her heart longed for most, true intimacy. The kind of intimacy that can only exist as we unveil ourselves and have open and honest communication. And I wondered what her relationship with this man would be like if she were to honor God in this area and speak honestly, or if he left, therefore proving he didn't truly love her, by the way, and that he wasn't, in fact, God's best for her, the type of man she needed. So if he left, then what type of relationship might God have waiting for her? Can you sense the deception beneath her fears? She didn't believe God could or would provide the relationship she needed, address her loneliness. She didn't believe that God knew best and that his way truly was best. So she settled for much less than his best. When we have hard conversations, we may indeed lose a relationship, but our future relationships will be much healthier and more satisfying as we learn to speak the truth in love and grace. If we're struggling with relationships routinely, it's easy to blame everyone else. But if we notice a pattern, then chances are the issue lies with us, that we've got some growth and healing to do so that we can first walk into our interactions with our needs buckets full, and then second, with clear and healthy boundaries in place, and third, with the ability to communicate well during conflict and outside of it. We, you and I, we determine the health of our relationships. Well, you and I and Jesus, but he is right here with us in this. He wants us to have healthy relationships even more than we do because he loves us absolutely, and also because our relationships can and should provide incredible evidence for the gospel. Can you see why we need to grow in this area, to overcome our fears so that we can learn to communicate in a courageous, God-honoring way? And that's the hard part, isn't it? Most of us haven't learned how to communicate effectively. In fact, we've probably learned the opposite in what we've seen modeled and a lifetime of practicing ineffective behavior. And we've seen the effects of that. We've seen the damage uncontrolled anger and ugly words have caused. And maybe we've caused a lot of that damage ourselves and we're afraid of doing so again. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing or, or not saying the right thing and only making things worse. The solution, we grow. 
And that necessitates a heart check. We spend, at least I do, spend way too much time stressing over conflict or jumping right into it and not nearly enough time preparing for it through prayer and honest evaluation. I'm immediately reminded of Jesus's words in Matthew chapter seven, when he told us not to get so hung up on the speck in our brother or sister's eyes that we're oblivious to the massive plank in ours. In context, he's urging us to make sure that we view others through a lens of grace and humility as we realize we're just as broken, we're just as sinful, just as hurtful and messed up as everybody else's. And that's a great place to start any discussion, taking the time to really sit in our own brokenness and God's grace, the price that Christ paid to bring us freedom. And I hope that's what we want for whoever we're dialoguing with as well. I hope as God's children called to the ministry of reconciliation, our desire is that others experience the grace and freedom of Christ. If that's not our goal, then we need to prayerfully consider whether or not we should be initiating that difficult conversation. And we for sure need to ask God to increase our love for the person and to remove all bitterness because bitterness will poison our words. I'm learning to ask God to search my heart for bitterness, for selfishness, for sure, for hidden pride. Not only does pride negatively impact my relationships and conversations, it also places me in direct opposition to God. James 4, 6 tells us God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble, opposes the proud. Those are strong words, but I get it. Our pride tells us we know best. It it makes us self-reliant, which distances us from God. It discourages us from seeking his will, and it makes us less apt to receive it when he does speak. As a result, pride is dangerous. Whenever we rely on our wisdom over God's, dangerous. So yeah, I get why he opposes the proud. When we're acting out of pride, we are not operating from love. But even if our heart is for the person we're dialoguing with 100% and we harbor nothing but goodwill towards them, we still need to do some personal plank searching. And here's why. Notice what Jesus said in verse five. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Our vision is distorted always from past hurts and experiences, from our own brokenness, from deception, from misconceptions. We need God's help to sort it all out. And I'm learning, I need to give him much more time to answer my request for wisdom than I prefer. When I take the time to pray, I've found more often than not, he solves the issue without me having to do anything. And so I need to ask him, like, is this really something I need to engage in? Do you know what happens when I meddle in something he hasn't called me to? I mess things up and that's never fun, never God honoring. So I need to seek his heart. I need to invite him to search and lead mine. And he might indeed call me to address someone's behavior in love and grace but I'm learning to give him ample time to show me. Perhaps most importantly, we need to maintain a teachable spirit because we have so much to learn, to learn and unlearn. We need to unlearn all those harmful behaviors that we thought served us and maybe in the moment seemed to when we won that argument, but ultimately 
cost us the war and led to broken relationships and increased distrust, hurt, and isolation. We learned through reading, and there are so many great books out there. So I'm going to share some of my favorites that I return to again and again in the show notes. And I also encourage you to read my article on, I believe, titled Seven Things You Need to Know when talking with difficult people, because we simply won't have time in this episode to discuss everything related to this topic, nor can we learn and process it all through one book or podcast episode. And we can't learn all we need to know to the depth we need to know it, the heart level behavior changing depth without Christ, which means we need to pray over the situation more than we fret about it. We need to pray over the situation more than we fret about it. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit, the one with the perfect wisdom for every situation and the power to bring good from every situation. And I believe his ability to guide us is greater than our ability to recognize that guidance. So we pray, we listen, and then we practice because it's one thing to know how we should speak. It's another to actually speak that way in the heat of conflict. Am I right? In a previous Faith Over Fear episode, my daughter shared her experiences learning to advocate for herself and others, speaking to those in authority over her, some who were quite intimidating and held the power over her grades and therefore whether or not she earned her degree. And this was a really difficult time for her. She was really wrestling with with this whole situation, fearing repercussions should she initiate difficult conversations with her professors. And she worried they'd retaliate, that they would sabotage her dreams, dreams she had been working really hard for for a long, long time. But God nudged her forward continually. And so she obeyed. And initially, she cried at every conversation, which she felt worked against her. I mean, she wanted to appear professional and here she started crying and she felt certain because of her tears, the professors wouldn't take her seriously. And I imagine she was pretty embarrassed. I would be. And maybe in my embarrassment, I would have retreated, determined in order to protect myself, not to make such attempts in the future. Had she done that, she would have remained stuck. She probably wouldn't have graduated because honestly, she needed each of those accommodations she fought so hard for. But her advocacy and the strength and the character others saw in her through it led to an amazing job working with a professor who saw her leadership and her courage and spoke into that. And this, in turn, coupled with the inner grit that her experience developed within her, led her to the career she now holds with an architectural and engineering firm. The journey was far from easy. It was frustrating. It was frightening. And at times it was painful. Like I said, initially she cried during pretty much every conversation, but with each one, she cried a little less until eventually she could hold these difficult conversations with calm confidence. And not just those conversations, everything she learned and developed during that time bled into the rest of her life. And I've watched her engage with others, with maturity, with the strength and the greatness that many times can only come through practice. Years ago, when wrestling with my own fears related to discussing uncomfortable or challenging issues, I began to broaden my thinking to not just the situation, but all God was doing in and through me through that conflict, I began to look at each episode as training. And this helped in a few ways. First, it took the pressure off. Adopting a growth mindset means we recognize we have room to grow, that we don't have it all figured out. And that realization, admitting that to ourselves, it helps us anchor ourselves in grace. 
we drop the ridiculously unrealistic standard that plagued our fears and insecurities. And we focus on one thing, improving. And we can all do that. Whether we make small or large advances is irrelevant so long as we're moving forward. And it also reminds us that there's life after today. Even if I lose that job, this friendship, this relationship, this opportunity, whatever issue I felt led to address today, more will follow. In fact, God could and probably is using this present conflict, like he did with my daughter, to prepare me for all the amazing opportunities ahead. Which means if I sidestep his training now for whatever is more comfortable or self-protecting, I will be unprepared for all he has ahead. In my growing phase, I did a lot of role-playing with my husband. So I would encourage you to do that. It just helps to build your confidence. It helps you to practice. You can consider your words. And early in my marriage, when my husband and I were unlearning negative patterns of behavior and learning healthy communication, we had to just learn to hit pause. And and we had to practice these things. We would hit pause often numerous times for every conversation. Like one conversation could go on for like weeks because we would hit pause whenever things weren't going, whenever we weren't responding as we wanted to. And it took time for us to change how we reacted when upset. It took a lot of time, but we kept working at it. We kept hitting pause when we needed to. We kept reconvening when it felt like a good time, learning as we went. And now we're able to talk about some really tough things calmly and lovingly, but it's been 25 years. And here's the cool side benefit. All this learning and growing has bled into my other relationships as well. So that overall, my interactions and therefore my relationships are so much healthier, so much less stressful, and so much more fulfilling. Can you see how that issue, whatever you're struggling with or will be struggling with tomorrow, that weighs so heavy in the moment, whatever hard conversations we feel led to address, really involve so much more, how God will use it to grow us so that we can experience everything he has for us. Maybe you've not handled situations well in the past and you're afraid you're going to react poorly. Then perhaps the best thing you can learn to do right now is when to hit pause. When you sense your patience running thin, politely excuse yourself, go to the restroom, pray, gather your thoughts, then return doing your best to follow God's lead. Be alert to your weaknesses and don't be afraid to admit them. First, if we think we don't have weaknesses in this area, we're self-deceived. If we think whoever we're talking with isn't already aware of our weaknesses, we're probably self-deceived there as well. And if we think admitting our weaknesses makes us weak, then we are the most self-deceived of all. And that demonstrates we're not truly anchored in God's grace. The opposite is true. The weak man or woman hides and pretends. It takes courage and confidence and having our feet deeply planted in grace to say, you know what, I really want to have this conversation with you, but I'm worried I won't respond with the kindness I should. Can we address this incrementally or maybe can we have somebody else join us to act as a buffer? My daughter has verbal processing challenges, which grow worse in tense situations. A while back, a woman in her faith community verbally bombarded her after a church service, and my daughter completely shut down. She couldn't respond. She couldn't process what the woman was saying, and she fled in tears. She really wanted to resolve the issue, but she knew in part 
due to her challenges, she couldn't do that alone. The other woman excelled at communication and often talked fast. And by the time my daughter processed it all, the conversation was over. Worried this might occur again and hinder them from truly addressing the issue, she sought out the help of a mediator and you might need to do the same. So what if we mess up? What if we lose our temper? What if we say something unkind? We probably will at some point. And when we do, we determine to live in grace, which means we confess our behavior to God. We invite him to show us why we reacted the way we did. We tend to stay surface level, wanting to fight behavior with sheer grit, but God goes so much deeper. He roots out the sin, the, the lies, and, and he heals our hurts and he soothes our fears. So ask him why you reacted the way you did and ask him to help you grow in this area so that next time you can speak with love and grace. He'll help you do that. And, but no, this is a process. He's not going to take you from an out of control, angry woman or someone who hides at the first hint of conflict to a calm and effective mediator overnight and have an honest conversation with the person you lost your cool with apologize and tell them, that you'd love to try again and then do so once again, doing your best to follow God's lead. When he says, speak, speak. When you sense him encouraging you to remain quiet, do so. And I know it can be so hard to remain surrendered to him in part because we tend to think we know best how to handle things. In other words, we tend to think too much of ourselves, our wisdom and our actions and too little of God and his wisdom and his ability to lead us, to make his guidance clear, to fix the situation, and if need be, to change the other person's heart. The answer then is to dethrone ourselves, increase our worship of Christ, and ask him to increase our faith. We need to trust ourselves less and trust him more. When we do that, the natural result is surrender, and oh my, what can God do through his surrendered children? God's big enough to handle the situation. And while he may indeed use us in the process, he will be doing precisely that. He will be using us to accomplish his will. We are his vessels, ready and pliable tools in his able and all-knowing, all-loving hands. When we remember that and place our faith in Christ, not ourselves, we tend to have more peace and clarity. The Apostle Paul, an ancient church planner who wrote much of the New Testament, he excelled in this. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he said that he was confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And in, a, in Philippians 3, verse 15, he wrote, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So in other words, he trusted God to do the changing. That didn't mean Paul didn't speak. He did. He wrote a pretty lengthy letter, in fact, encouraging the Philippians to live as God desired. But he said what he felt led to say, and he left the rest to God. That's all we can do. When we understand that and when we rest in that truth, our anxiety decreases and our peace and confidence and effectiveness increases. Paul spoke a lot of hard truths, but he always did so with gentleness and respect. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 5 to 8, he wrote, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, 
but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. That's a powerful way to interact with others, especially those who disagree with us or who maybe need to learn some hard truths or change some hurtful behaviors. May we treat them as we would our own children. My daughter's 23, and she and I hold a lot of different views, doctrinally, politically, just in general. And we've also had a lot, a lot of hard conversations, but we are super close. And in fact, our difficult conversations have made us closer because we speak the truth, yes, but we do so with gentleness and love. There are times when I fear my words might hurt her, and I know she's felt the same, but we know whatever pain the truth inflicts will be for the person's ultimate good. Christ-like love seeks the person's best, health, growth, freedom, and it does so with gentleness and respect. And that's how we model Christ. And then we trust him to bring fruit from our words. Our goal isn't to convince them of our truths and change their mind. Our ultimate goal is to point them to Christ. Whenever we do that, that's a win. And sometimes there's tension. Sometimes there's discomfort. In that, when my daughter was young and we read scripture together, she'd often ask me what certain passages meant, and I'd answer. I I love to teach, but then one evening, I sensed God say to my spirit, "Don't encourage her to rely on you for answers. Teach her to seek me." So that's what I did. Does she have it all figured out now at age 23? No, and neither do I. But we're both seeking Him and His answers, and I'm trusting God to lovingly guide my daughter and myself to deeper truths. This is a really complex topic, and every difficult conversation is unique, but the same God oversees them all. I know he'll lead you in your situation, so seek him. And as long as you're actively and honestly seeking to obey him, you can rest knowing that you might hit and even create some bumps along the way he's got you. He knows where he's taking you and all the good that's ahead. He doesn't expect any of us to have everything figured out today or tomorrow or even five years from now. All he expects is that we routinely yield our hearts, our lives, and our relationships to him. Thank you for listening. I hope today's episode encouraged you, gave you some things to think about, and the courage to speak truth whenever God leads and to seek help in all your relationships and interactions. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss a single episode. And it would encourage me a great deal if you rated it. That helps others to find it. And please share it on your social media outlets and with your friends. Until next time, go in peace, go in faith, and with eternal impact. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. 
but it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.